Chapter Three of Erema. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Erema, by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. Chapter Three. A Sturdy Colonist. For the contrast betwixt that dreadful scene and the one on which my dim eyes slowly opened three days afterward, first I thanked the Lord in heaven, whose gracious care was over me, and after him some very simple members of humanity. A bronze-colored woman with soft, sad eyes was looking at me steadfastly. She had seen that, under tender care, I was just beginning to revive and being acquainted with many troubles she had learned to succour all of them this i knew not then but felt that kindness was around me arauna arauna my child she said in a strange but sweet and soothing voice you are with the good man in the safe good house yet old suan will give you the good food my child where is my father Oh, show me my father! I whispered faintly, as she raised me in the bed and held a large spoon to my lips. You shall, you shall. It is too very much English. Me tell you when have long Sunday time to think. My child, take the good food from your poor old Suan. She looked at me with such beseeching eyes that, even if food had been loathsome to me, I could not have resisted her whereas i was now in the quick reviving agony of starvation the indian woman fed me with far greater care than i was worth and hushed me with some soothing process into another abyss of sleep more than a week passed by me thus in the struggle between life and death before i was able to get clear knowledge of anybody or anything no one in my wakeful hours came into my little bedroom except this careful indian nurse who hushed me off to sleep whenever i wanted to ask questions suan isco as she was called possessed a more than mesmeric power of soothing a weary frame to rest and this was seconded where i lay by the soft incessant cadence and abundant roar of water thus every day i recovered strength and natural impatience the master is coming to see you child suan said to me one day when i had sat up and done my hair and longed to be down by the waterfall if if too much english old suan say no more can now if i'm ready and able and willing oh suan run and tell him not to lose one moment no sure suan no sure at all she answered looking at me calmly, as if there were centuries yet to spare. Suan no hurry, child no hurry, master no hurry, come last of all. I tell you, Suan, I want to see him, and I am not accustomed to be kept waiting. My dear father insisted always. But, oh, Suan, Suan, he is dead. I am almost sure of it. Him old man quite dead enough, and big hole dug in the land for him. Very good, more good than could be. Suan no more English. 
well as i had known it long a catching of the breath and hollow helpless pain came through me to meet in dry words thus the dread which might have been but a hovering dream i turned my face to the wall and begged her not to send the master in but presently a large firm hand was laid on my shoulder softly and turning sharply round i beheld an elderly man looking down at me his face was plain and square and solid his short white curls on a rugged forehead and fresh red cheeks and a triple chin fit base for remarkably massive jaws his frame was in keeping with his face being very large and powerful though not of my father's commanding height his dress and appearance were those of a working and a really hard-working man sober steadfast and self-respecting but what engaged my attention most was the frank yet shrewd gaze of deep-set eyes i speak of things as i observed them later for i could not pay much heed just then tis a poor little missy he said with a gentle tone what things she hath been through will you take an old man's hand my dear your father hath often taken it though different from his rank of life Samson Gundry is my name, Miss A. Have you ever heard your father tell of it? Many and many a time, I said, as I placed my hot little hand in his. He never found more than one man true on earth, and it was you, sir. Come, now, he replied, with his eyes for a moment sparkling at my warmth of words. You must not have that in your young head, Miss A it leads to a miserable life your father hath always been unlucky the most unlucky man that ever i did know and luck cometh out in nothing clearer than in the kind of folk we meet but the lord in heaven ordereth all i speak like a poor heathen oh never mind that i cried only tell me were you in time to save to save i could not bear to say what i wanted in plenty of time my dear thanks to you you must have fought when you could not fight the real stuff i call it your poor father lies where none can harm him come missy missy you must not take on so it is the best thing that could befall a man so bound up with calamity it is what he hath prayed for for many a year if only it were not for you and now you are safe and for sure he knows it if the angels heed their business with these words he withdrew and kindly sent suan back to me knowing that her soothing ways would help me more than argument to my mind all things lay in deep confusion and abasement overcome with bodily weakness and with bitter self-reproach i even feared that to ask any questions might show want of gratitude but a thing of that sort could not always last and before very long I was quite at home with the history of Mr. Gundry. Solomon Gundry, of Mavagisse, in the county of Cornwall, in England, betook himself to the United States in the last year of the last century. He had always been a most upright man, as well as a first-rate fisherman, and his family had made a rule, as most respectable families at that time did, to run a nice cargo of contraband goods not more than twice in one season a highly querulous old lieutenant in the british navy 
who had served under Nelson and lost both arms, yet kept the rheumatics in either stump, was appointed, in an evil hour, to the Cornish Coast Guard, and he never rested until he had caught all the best county families smuggling. Through this he lost his situation, and had to go to the workhouse. Nevertheless, such a stir had been roused, that, to satisfy public opinion, they made a large sacrifice of inferior people, and among them this Solomon Gundry. Now the Gundrys had long been a thick-set race, and had furnished some and had furnished some champion wrestlers, and Solomon kept to the family stamp in the matter of obstinacy. He made a bold mark at the foot of a bond for one hundred and fifty pounds, and with no other sign than that his partner in their stanch herring smack, the good hope of Mavagisi, allowed him to make sail across the Atlantic with all he cared for. This Cornish partner deserved to get all his money back, and so he did, together with good interest. Solomon Gundry drove among a thrifty race in Boston. He married a sweet New England lass, and his eldest son was Samson. Samson, in the prime of life, and at its headstrong period, sought the far west, overland, through not much less of distance, and through even more of danger, even his English father had gone through. His name was known on the western side of the mighty chain of mountains, before Colonel Fremont was heard of there, and before there was any gleam of gold in the lonely sunset frontage. Here Samson Gundry lived by tillage of the nobly fertile soil, ere Sacramento or San Francisco had any name to speak of. And though he did not show regard for any kind of society, he managed to have a wife and son, and keep them free from danger. But, as it appears to me the more, the more I think of everything, no one must assume to be aside the reach of fortune, because he has gathered himself so small that she should not care to strike at him. At any rate, good or evil powers smote Samson Gundry heavily. First he lost his wife, which was a great denial to him. She fell from a cliff while she was pegging out the linen, and the substance of her frame prevented her from ever getting over it. And after that he lost his son, his only son, for all the Gundrys were particular as to quality. And the way in which he lost his son made it still more sad for him. A reputable and valued woman had disappeared in a hasty way from a cattle place down the same side of the hills. The desire of the Indians was to enlarge her value and get it. There were very few white men as yet within any distance to do good. But Samson Gundry vowed that, if the will of the Lord went with him, that woman should come back to her family without robbing them of sixpence. To this intent he started with a company of some twenty men, white or black or middle-coloured, according to circumstances. He was their captain, and his son Elijah their lieutenant. Elijah had only been married for a fortnight, but was full of spirit, and eager to fight with enemies. And he seems to have carried this too far, for all that came back to his poor bride was a lock of his hair and his blessing. He was buried in a bed of lava on the western slope of Shasta, and his wife died in her confinement, and was buried by the Blue River. It was said at the time, and long afterward, that Elijah Gundry, thus cut short, was the finest and noblest young man to be found from the mountains to the ocean. 
his father in whose arms he died led a sad and lonely life for years and scarcely even cared although of cornish and new england race to seize the glorious chance of wealth which lay at his feet beseeching him by settlement he had possessed himself of a large and fertile district sloping from the mountain foot along the banks of the swift blue river a tributary of the san joaquin and this was not all for he also claimed the ownership of the upper valley the whole of the mountain gorge and spring head whence that sparkling water flows and when that fury of gold digging in eighteen hundred and forty nine arose very few men could have done what he did without even thinking twice of it for samson gundry stood like a bull on the banks of his own river and defied the worst and most desperate men of all nations to pollute it he had scarcely any followers or steadfast friends to back him but his fame of stern courage was clear and strong and his bodily presence most manifest not a shovel was thrust nor a cradle rocked in the bed of the blue river but when a year or two had passed and all the towns and villages and even hovels and wayside huts began to clink with money mr gundry gradually recovered a wholesome desire to have some for now his grandson ephraim was growing into biped shape and having lost his mother when he first came into the world was sure to need the more natural and maternal nutriment of money therefore samson gundry though he would not dig for gold wrought out a plan which he had long thought of nature helped him with all her powers of mountain forest and headlong stream he set up a sawmill and built it himself and there was no other to be found for twelve degrees of latitude and perhaps a score of longitude End of chapter three